I'm just going to take yours. not working. <laughs> well, good morning, New Village. Good morning. I'm Pastor Mike. Um, I come from Shelter Rock Church over in Nassau County, and it is so good to be back with all of you today. I didn't get any emails during the week telling me not to come back, so I guess we did all right. Um, so I'm glad to hear that because I, uh, I really enjoyed myself last week um, getting to know all of you, hearing some of your stories, and, and just fellowshipping with all of you. So I'm excited about uh, our sermon series. Uh, last week we kicked off Rediscovering the Lord's Prayer together. And I mentioned that the Lord's Prayer, similar to the Pledge of Allegiance, is something that is very familiar to us. Uh, we either grew up uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer, we learned it when we were very little, but sometimes when something becomes so familiar, we lose sight of the significance of it. And so last week we talked about uh, verses, uh, verse 9, which is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we learned that when we approach God in prayer, that we are to approach him from this place of intimacy. And that when we have this close personal relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus, that there's automatically what happens is worship starts to just kind of burst from us. And so we learned that there's, uh, that not only do we approach him in intimacy, but we also approach him in reverence. Well, today we are continuing in the Lord's Prayer together, and I'm really excited about this verse that we're going to talk about today because it packs quite a punch. And we're going to be looking at verse 10. And the reason why I'm so excited about it is that it is going to completely shift our perspective on what it means to live life as Christ's follower. And when I think about shifting our perspective or a time in history when our culture's perspective was shifted, uh, yeah, that would help. I think of Nicholas Copernicus. Nicholas Copernicus was a 15th century uh, astronomer. In fact, he was coined the nickname the father of modern astronomy. And what was revolutionary at the time was that the world believed in a geocentric model of the universe, where the earth was a fixed object and the sun, the moon, and the stars and the planets all revolved around it. But it was Copernicus who challenged this idea and said, no, I believe in a heliocentric model to the universe where the sun was at the center and it was the earth, the moon, and the planets that revolved around it. And this came out of Copernic um, sorry, Aristotle who originally believed that all planets move in circular motion. So how could it be possible that the earth was a fixed object? And so this was revolutionary at the time because it changed our perspective. It shifted our perspective of how we viewed the universe. And so when I look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at verse 10 today, it's also going to shift our perspective. 
And it's going to take our focus off of ourselves. And it's going to put God at the center of our universe. And so look with me together. We're going to be looking at verse 10. And the title of today's message it's, is, It's Not About Me. It's not about me. So if we look here at the Lord's Prayer together, these few verses, this shows up in Matthew chapter 6, as I explained last week. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers. And so we get to the point in Matthew where Jesus teaches on prayer. And so we get the Lord's Prayer. And so he says here, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So what's interesting to me here is that as we start to, as Jesus starts to teach on the Lord's Prayer, right? Last week we learned that we are to address the one in whom we're praying to, correct? Our Father in heaven. Well, today we get our first two petitions in the Lord's Prayer. It's the first thing that we see that we're requesting something of God. And what are we requesting? We're requesting for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. These first two petitions are not about us. They're not about our wants, our needs, our desires. But in fact, they shift our perspective and focus on God's wants, God's needs, God's desires. And so we're going to look at the first petition together, your kingdom come. And like I said, this packs quite a punch because when we talk about your kingdom coming, your kingdom, not my kingdom, God's kingdom. And so, you know, what's interesting is that the word kingdom or this teaching on kingdom was something that Jesus spoke many times about. In fact, his first sermon, after we learned that Jesus was tempted after he was baptized and then tempted in the desert, he came out preaching his first sermon, and his first sermon was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. In fact, he mentions the kingdom 50 times in the book of Matthew alone. And so Jesus was all about the kingdom. So, so what is the kingdom? What is this kingdom that Jesus is referring to? Again, it packs a big uh, punch, and it's something that we wrestle with. In fact, the kingdom of God is probably one of the most theologically confusing concepts in the Bible. And so when we talk about the kingdom, we read here in Matthew, he says, and we read, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, at near, is near, we read in Matthew, kingdom of heaven. In Luke, he phrases it a different way. He says, even so, when you see these things happening, you'll know that the kingdom of God is near. So we see kingdom of heaven in Matthew. We see kingdom of God in Luke. And what I want you to realize today is that theologically, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous with one another. The reason why you're seeing kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew is because Matthew is the most Hebrew of the Gospels. 
Whereas in Luke and Mark and John, you're going to read the kingdom of God. And so Matthew, being the most Hebrew of the Gospels, is that they didn't use the word God. They didn't refer to God out of respect. And so he used kingdom of heaven. But whether we talk about the kingdom of heaven or we talk about the kingdom of God, they are one and the same. Essentially, we can kind of boil it down to the space where God dwells. The kingdom of heaven is the space where God dwells. And when I was doing my research on the kingdom of heaven, I came across a really good working definition of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's by a Bible teacher, author, his name is Brad Gray, and he says that the kingdom of heaven can be defined as the rule and reign of God advancing here on earth, bringing healing and wholeness by chasing out the chaos, which could be sin, death, and darkness. So it's God's full rule and his full reign advancing here on earth, chasing out the darkness. It's the space where God dwells, and it's God's space intersecting with our human space. So we see that that is a principle. Another way of describing the kingdom of God is God's redemption, his his redeeming work on mankind. We see that all throughout the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, where God is redeeming our times. He's redeeming the circumstances. We see that in the Garden of Eden, where God was dwelling among Adam and Eve. God's space interacting, intersecting with human space. We see it again when Jesus comes and he starts to launch his public ministry, and he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the kingdom of heaven intersecting with our human space. And then we see it again in Revelation 19 when we, when we hear after the great tribulation that Jesus will come and establish his millennial rule and reign on earth and he will once again create peace and order. And so there's this sense that God's space, God's dwelling space is going to intersect human space. So what we see is that God's kingdom has always existed. If we look again from beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, it's always existed. And it's, again, it's theologically, it's a difficult thing to explain. Some people, some biblical scholars try to, try to look at God's kingdom as past, present, and future tense, that there's these stages. And when I think of, when I think of God's kingdom, I do think of stages. I think of my child. Uh, and the different stages of development that my child went through. Keep going. I won't, I won't get you there yet. Um, but when I think about my child and I think about the development, right, the first stage is conception, right? First stage is conception, that something physiologically happens in, when my wife was pregnant and the baby was conceived. Now, even though we can't see it, even though we can't touch it, even though we can't feel it, no doubt there's still human life forming. And in fact, I will even argue, and we, I quoted Psalm 139 last week, that before we were in our mother's womb, right, God formed us in the secret place. And so that's, there's this sense that God's kingdom always existed. But yet, you know, when my wife and I went to the doctor and we were able to hear the baby's heartbeat for the first time, we got so excited 
because we got to, we got to experience an aspect of this life that was being formed. And then later on, we, we, got, to, we, got, to feel, uh, we got to feel the baby kicking, and I would put my, my, my uh, hand on my wife's stomach, and I would feel the baby kicking. And again, we're experiencing something. We're experiencing life, and it was awesome. But you know, nothing takes the place of that day after nine months of waiting and expecting this baby to come. When you get to hold that baby and touch that baby and smell that baby and kiss that baby, there is nothing like that experience. And I loved hearing the heartbeat and I loved hearing, feeling the baby kick, but nothing can take the place of holding that baby in my arms and having it in its fullness in my life. And so, you know, here's a picture of my son, my first son. This was a while ago. I had hair then. <laughs> I don't get to show this picture much, but you guys are special, so I'll show you. But nothing was like that day when I was holding that baby. And so that's the way God wants us to experience and look forward to his kingdom, is that day where it will come in its fullness, and we will experience it for all that it is, his full rule and his full reign in our life. And so he teaches us, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we're going to center our petitions on God's full rule and his reign. When we say, your kingdom come, we're, we're inviting, we're petitioning God so that his full rule, his full reign, where there's peace and there's, and there's, and there's no more, we hear, no more tears, no more sadness, God's full rule and reign in our lives. So where do you need God's kingdom to come in your life? Where do you need God's full rule and his reign? Where do you need redemption in your life? Could it be a broken relationship that needs redeeming? Could it be a sickness that you're battling with? Bad health report. Could it be a child who's, who's gone astray? Where do you need God's kingdom to come in your life. Jesus invites us to pray in this way. And when, and when we do pray in this way, we're trusting God that he will come and he will heal and he will bring wholeness to those situations in our life. But a lot of us, we don't, we don't experience God's kingdom in this way. I believe some of the reasons we don't we don't experience God's kingdom in this way, or maybe our prayers aren't focused on asking God's kingdom to come is because we're so busy building our own kingdoms. We're building our own kingdoms. You know, and, you know, in all fairness, I mean, that's what our culture teaches us, right? Culture teaches us to look out for number one, to make a name for yourself, to get a good job, Get a house, fix up that house, sell that house for a profit so you can buy a bigger house. It's all about our kingdoms. And so if we spend our lives building our own kingdoms, we'll never get to experience God's kingdom. But what the beautiful thing about it is that God invites us to participate in his kingdom work. I think the second reason why we struggle with this and we don't necessarily experience God's kingdom or we don't live for God's kingdom, is that, you know, you could say, well, I've never really experienced what you're talking about, Pastor Mike. I, 
I haven't experienced, you know, the kingdom of God coming upon me. But, but I would challenge you in that. You know, the fact that you're sitting here today and you made a decision to come to church, to hear the word of God, to worship, that is the kingdom of heaven coming upon you. When you and I have repented before, the God, before God, that is the kingdom of heaven coming upon you. And so, so I would challenge you in that to consider the ways in which the kingdom of heaven has come upon you throughout your life. And the amazing thing is, like when I got to experience my child for the first time, is that we get to experience God's kingdom right here and right now. We get to experience God's kingdom right here, right now. When we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are participating with God, asking God to bring his space into our space. And you know, the one thing that I think we struggle with is that, you know, as Christians, we've, we've kind of just been grinning and bearing it and kind of trudging through life and waiting for the day when Jesus returns. That's what we're looking forward to. But no, 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 I don't believe that. I believe that what God is, it's not about trying to get to be where God is, but it's about when we pray our kingdom come, we're bringing God to where we are. We're bringing God to where we are. We're bringing God's space to where we are. That's the theme of the whole Bible. That's the theme of the whole Bible, is God's space intersecting with our space. Jesus came near. When he came to earth, the heaven, the kingdom of heaven came near. And so we get to participate that. And, and you know, that's what I want to see in my life, in my family, in my community. I want to see God's kingdom come. And you know what? I know you do too. I know you do too. Why do I know that? Because of this. Our vision is to see God's glory reflected in the lives of transformed disciples of Christ who live out gospel truths in everyday lives in our homes, our church, and our world. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's your vision statement I grabbed off your website. <laughs> this is kingdom culture. I was so encouraged when I read this on your website because this is exactly what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us. We want to see God's kingdom ruling and reigning in our lives, in our communities, in our church, and New Village, the fact that this is your vision statement, this is a, gra this is a fertile ground for God to work and to do something amazing for Long Island and for the people that walk through these doors. So I was super encouraged by that. The second petition that we get to, so not only do we see, or not only I should say that we get to experience God's kingdom here and now and participate in it, but the second petition that he invites us to be a part of is surrender. We read here in verse 10, the second half, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will not my will, your will, God's will, God's preferences, God's desires, God's inclinations. So when we pray, your will be done, we're asking for God's perfect plan, God's perfect 
desires, God's perfect inclination to be lived out in our life. And when I think of somebody who lived this out, I think of Jesus. Not only did he teach us to pray in this way, but he lived it out. And we see this, if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, on the, ni- on the night before he was going to be betrayed in the hands of the Roman soldiers, he prayed, and in the middle of the agony that he experienced, knowing that he was going to be going to the cross, he prayed, and he asked the Father if it is, if it is possible to take this cup of suffering from me. Jesus understood what that was like. He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, but yet was without sin. Everything in him wanted to resist the torture that he was about to face. But what did he say? He said, but not my will, let your will be done. So Jesus lived this out. He resisted pain. He resisted the pain, but surrendered his plan to God. We all have strong desires that are hard to let go of. We do. And, you know, sometimes that can lead to great disappointment in our life. And when I think about being disappointed, and I think about having such a strong desire that if, we, if only it would come, true, come through, would we be happy? I think about uh, this, Christian, this scene from this Christian movie uh, that... Uh, came out about 15 years ago. It's called Facing the Giants. I don't know if you've ever seen that by the Kendrick brothers. Um, Back when I was um, pastoring our youth 15 years ago, I I played this video for them, this movie, and it just really uh, impacted them in a big way. Uh, And if you know anything about the movie, it chronicles a Christian high school football team and its coach and his family. And, you know, not only did this coach, his name was Grant Taylor, um, have uh, professional problems uh, trying to coach uh, the Giants out of a six-season losing streak, but he also had some personal problems in his life. Him and his wife, Brooke, they, uh, they were having a very difficult time starting a family and having children, and all the test results, all the medical test results came back uh, that their chances of having a baby were slim to none. And so all they wanted to do, their greatest desire was to have a child. Uh, They felt that they couldn't be happy until they had a child, and it came between them. And so in the scene that we're about to watch, watch, um, Brooke, the wife, um, she didn't want to give up on that. Uh, She didn't want to give up on her dream. Uh, So she would time and time again go to the doctor's office to get a pregnancy test, only for the test to come back negative. And every single time that it came back negative, her heart broke a little bit more. And so in this scene that we're going to watch, here she goes, Brooke, she goes back to the doctor's office for the umpteenth time, waiting for her results of her pregnancy test. So let's watch this.
So in this clip, we see Brooke finally surrendering her will to God's. She had such a difficult time letting go, like the song says, to his control. But God brought her to that place where she could say, you know what? If my desires never come to be, I will still love you, Lord. And you know, when our desires, when we all of a sudden lay down our will and our desires, and all of a sudden we don't seek God for what he could give us, but we seek him for who he is, we cross a threshold in our relationship with him. And we cross a threshold in our spiritual life. And so, you know, that is probably one of the hardest things to do. It becomes less about my kingdom and more about his. So what area of your life do you need to surrender? Is there a dream in your heart, a desire in your heart, that you're not going to be happy unless it comes to pass? Like Brooke, can you say, I will still love you, Lord? I think today God is speaking to some of you today, and he's asking and he's waiting to see if you will be able to confess that. And, you know, like we saw in the movie, if you could tell from the body language, you know, there was a mix-up in, in the medical results, and, and she was actually pregnant. You know, and it wasn't until she was able to get to that place where she could say, I will still love you, Lord, when her heart was in the right place, in the kingdom place, that God opened that door for her. And so God is speaking to some of you today in that as well. You've been waiting on him. You've been asking. You've been seeking. You've been kind of stomping your feet a little bit. I don't know about you, but I've been there before and waiting for God to open up a door, to change the situation, upset with him because it hasn't happened in my time frame. When you seek him for who he is, God will change your heart. Because yes, we know that God, he gives us the desires of our heart, but the thing is, New Village, he doesn't give us our heart's desires. Did you hear what I said? God gives us the desires of our hearts, but he doesn't give us our heart's desires, meaning not everything that I want, I get. And I'm thankful that, it, that I don't, honestly, quite honestly. I am thankful that I don't, because the heartbreak and the, and the disappointment that, a lot of the disappointment that I've gone through in my life is because I have pushed my own way and my own agenda. But what's amazing is that in that verse that I quoted is that God, he replaces our desires and he puts his desires in our hearts. And so when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God is able to replace your desires with his desires, his best for our lives. And you know, I've gone through a lot of disappointments, but one thing that I've found is that when I allow the Lord to lead me through that disappointment, and I allowed him to minister to me, and I, and I remember that God's ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and that he's got a good plan and a good purpose for my life, all of a sudden, I get through on the other side. Not only do I come through the disappointment, but I become closer to him 
than I was than before if I've never gone through that disappointment. Remember, it's all about relationship. We learned that last week. But I believe that this is a hard pill to swallow for some. It's a hard pill. Why? Because even here in the church, we've been told, if you desire it, it's yours, right? There's this name it and claim it theology that if you desire it, it must be good, therefore you should have it, God shouldn't be holding out on you, so go and get it. And so this is a hard pill for us to swallow. But other times we pray amiss. When we pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, sometimes we pray with limited thinking. We've, we have limited thinking. And, and you know, in those, in those ways, you know, God, he wants to exceed our expectations. He wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine. And so we put limits on our thinking. And so when we pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, in that perfect place, to come into our sphere. God wants to exceed your expectations. And the good news, you know, like I said, I titled this message, It's Not About Me. And you know what? That is good news. That is good news. And I don't know if you're feeling today, you came in here with some burdens on your shoulders, but that should be good news to you. Why? Because if it's all about you, then everything depends on you. It depends on your wisdom, your talent, your skill, your determination. But I am so glad that I can place my life in the Creator's hands, the one who holds the moon, the sun, the stars, everything in motion. Perfect harmony. The pressure's off. It's not about you, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't want it to be all about you. And I believe that that is where you'll experience true freedom. So as we kind of get through this verse, verse 10, we see that when we pray in this way, for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done, it sets us free from the trap of self-centeredness. No wonder Jesus started out the Lord's Prayer in this way, instead of launching into our own wants and desires. It sets us free from the trap of self-centeredness, and instead puts the center back where it belongs, on God. You know, the, the interesting thing about Nicholas Copernicus, sorry, the, one, the interesting thing about, or I should say the revolutionary thing about Nicholas Copernicus and his theory on astronomy, was not so much that the, uh, or, uh, the sun replaced the earth at the center, but really, it was because it changed the way, it shifted our perspective on our place in the universe. No longer was man at the center of the universe and everything revolving around it. But instead, it diverted its attention off of ourselves and shifted it back on something that was so extraordinary, so powerful. And so, in that way, it gave the opportunity for the sun, I'm sorry, for the moon, for the planets, and for the earth to take their rightful positions, secondary, and revolve around the sun. What if we took our rightful positions? 
and we put God at the center of our world. You know, Jesus said that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Jesus, he took his rightful position as God's son. You know, and just like the moon, which is in and of itself a dark mass, when it revolves around the sun, it reflects the sun. And it shines a light into our dark world. What if we, in everything that we say, in everything that we do, in everything that we pray, we reflected the sun? That we reflected the gospel, the light of the gospel to a dark world. To New Village, I believe that if we were to do this, if we were sun reflectors, our vision statement would come to fruition. We will see the gospel at work in our communities, in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. So let's be reflections of the sun. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your shift in our perspective. We thank you for your kingdom coming. We thank you for your will to be done in our lives. We thank you that you invite us to participate with you in the work of your kingdom. Lord, that we get to participate in seeing lives restored, sicknesses being healed, addictions being broken. Lord, that we get to witness your kingdom. And Lord, yes, we do look forward to the day where you will rule and you will reign. But Lord, we pray in the meantime, your kingdom come. Help us, Lord. Help us to surrender our wills to you. Help us to put you at the center of our hearts. Would your Holy Spirit come now and just minister to us in Jesus' name, amen.